Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. With Star Wars fever running high, we wanted to talk with acclaimed author and illustrator, Jared J. Krasoska. In 2016, Jared took over Scholastic's Jedi Academy series. His New York Times best-selling titles include Jedi Academy, A New Class, and most recently, Jedi Academy, The Force Over Sleeps. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to be talking with you today. And first, I want to learn a little bit more about your very impressive career as an artist and a writer. I thought maybe you could pick up from when you were an undergraduate at the Rhode Island School of Design. Sure. No, thank you for your kind words. My high school art teacher, Mr. Shalili, always told us that every artist gets at least two years of rejections before anything starts to happen. And... Uh, that was just ingrained in me. And so by the time I was a junior at Rhode Island School of Design, I really started thinking about, you know, my having a career after graduation. And in my, so in the, in the first semester of my junior year, I took a course called Picture and Word. And it was a class that met every Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And it was three credits of English and three credits for illustration. And we learned about picture books and children's literature, and we, we read, we wrote. The big semester project was to write our own picture book, to put together a dummy book and a few sample illustrations. And so at the end of that semester, I had this book, and I thought, well, I, I could just throw it in a drawer and forget about it. However, I could start getting some of those rejections out of the way while I'm still an undergrad. You know, and that's exactly what I did. So my first book rejection came in January of 1998. I was starting my second semester of my junior year. And I just kept sending the book out. It kept getting rejected. I was lucky enough at, during the very end of my senior year to score an illustration job with McGraw-Hill, illustrating some early readers for their educational market. And then upon graduation, I was now sending two or three different book ideas out that were constantly getting rejected from publishers. And then I began to submit my work as, as just an illustrator versus author illustrator. And I would send out promotional postcards because I, I figured, well, maybe I could get hired to illustrate a book that somebody else wrote. And, and maybe that's how I'll get my start. And I was approaching the two-year anniversary of my first book rejection, and I was starting to get a little down and starting to worry about the future. And uh, I was lucky enough to have some very supportive author-illustrator pals in my new neighborhood where I lived in Boston. I lived in, actually, in, in specifically, I lived in Somerville, Massachusetts at the time. And just down the street from me was a, a, a friend that I had just made, and her name is Grace Lynn. She also graduated from RISD. We, we weren't there at the same time. We didn't know each other when we were undergrads. And she had just had her first picture book published, The Ugly Vegetables. And we, we met for, uh, well, I guess I didn't drink coffee, so I guess we met for coffee and hot chocolate. <laughs> and um, I just asked her, I was like, what am I doing wrong? What could I do differently? And, and she pointed out that I had been sending my postcards to the art directors, but I should try sending those postcards out to the editors. So on a Monday, the, uh, the very beginning of December of 1999, I sent out a 
batch of postcards to editors on a Monday. And that Thursday, I received an email from an editor uh, at a publisher, Random House, and they said, hey, we, we like your artwork. Let us know if you're ever in New York City. And they said, if you are, we would love to meet you and see some more of your work. And, and I should backtrack and, and, and point out that just prior to that, I was getting so desperate that I would follow up with phone calls to people I had sent my postcards to. And 99% of the people were really nice about it, but I can't recount all of those conversations. I just remember this one person, that 1% who was not kind, and they said, you know, it would just be a waste of my time to meet with you. And um, so now to have an invitation to go to, to, to show my work in New York City was so exciting, and, but I wasn't sure if anything would come from it. So I picked up the phone and I called another publisher and explained that I was gonna be in town. And I did that to a third and fourth publisher. So I, I had four meetings in a couple of days uh, and that was just the de December, so six months after graduation. And uh, I left New York City uh, with actually, I left New York City with with two book contracts. One of them didn't actually work out in the end, uh, but one of those contracts was for Goodnight Monkey Boy, which became my first published book on June twelfth of two thousand and one. Oh my goodness, what a story! <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right, well, let's fast forward. You've taken over the Star Wars Jedi Academy series, and your latest work is called The Force Oversleeps. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I remember when I received the message asking if I'd be interested in, in working on these books. And I had already made the decision to put Lunch Lady on hold. I had made 10 graphic novels in that series. And I had a, a, a other ideas I wanted to work on and these other books that I was planning. And it was actually, it was the day we were we were moving. We had, we had sold our house and we we're moving to our second house. And I got into a little bit of trouble because I was looking at my phone, um, but on my phone was a message from an editor at Scholastic informing me that uh, they were looking for someone new to take over Jedi Academy because Jeffrey Brown was moving on. And I'm a huge fan of Jeffrey's and, and, and what he did with Jedi Academy. And, and even before Jeffrey worked on Jedi Academy, I'd been following his career and picking up his graphic novels at my local comic book shop. Um, and so, you know, it was a little bit intimidating because it's also, uh, you know, I have such a reverence for Jeffrey and, and for Star Wars, but what really, really attracted me to the, the, the project was the challenge and that I could create my own characters that would live in the world of Star Wars. You know, I get to use Yoda and write lines for Yoda and draw Yoda in an official capacity. And then he, that Yoda, that most iconic character in popular culture, would interact with characters that I invented. Um, so, so my my setup for the series is that there's this kid named Victor Starspeeder, and he's incredibly strong with the Force, but he's also very hyperactive. So the school that he's at can't really handle him. So they send him over to the main Jedi Academy campus over in Coruscant. And uh, Victor's older sister, Christina, attends that school. Now, Christina is not excited that her younger brother is, is going to be attending her Jedi Academy. She is, uh, you know, a straight-A student, uh, very serious in, in her academic career, and she's just afraid that Victor is going to cramp her style and ruin her reputation. And so Victor is is not a bad kid. He's a good kid who has trouble channeling his energy. And so to help him with that, Yoda has Victor join the drama club at Jedi Academy. So I'm getting to work with Star Wars and I'm getting to have these kids uh, you know, work in, in musical theater on the middle school level. I'm just having a lot of fun with it. 
And so I introduce all the characters in a new class, and then in the latest book, The Force Oversleeps, I, I step it up a little bit in terms of the problems the characters have. Victor's now feeling secure in his social circle, but you know everything goes awry. I mean, if everything went perfectly for the character, it would not be a good story. <laughs> would you read an excerpt for us? Sure, absolutely. So every one of my Jedi Academy books opens with a, a cartoon that Victor makes where he comes across as really awesome at everything. And then his, his sister or something in his, in his family takes him away from his journal and they have, to, they have to take off to Jedi Academy. So I'll read first, the first couple of pages from his journal. Hexaday. Sometimes I hate how my sister, Christina, knows me so well. But I didn't write Maya 500 hollow messages over break. It was more like 100, maybe 200. But when Maya didn't write me back, I thought maybe something was wrong. I mean, it couldn't be me. Who wouldn't want to be hollow pals with me? Maya must have been super busy because she barely even logged on to her, our hollow chats for book club. I mean, okay, all right. I know she was super busy based on her Stargram post. She seemed to be enjoying herself. And then you turn the page and there's a double page spread of the character's uh, data pad. And there's a, a social media site called Stargram. And and this is how we catch up on what the characters have been up to. And there's an illustration of the Maya character, and she is in front of a Broadway sign, and it says Hamil Tauntaun. And it's like Hamilton, with, but except there's a Tauntaun, and Hamil is spelled like Mark Hamill's last name. So it's kind of a double pun there. And her, her caption reads, Hamil Tauntaun, can't believe I scored tickets. And then she, the next Stargram is a photo of her taking a selfie with one of the actors from the from the musical, and she writes backstage, hashtag theater life. And the next image is, a, is a, an image of, of uh, Coleman and Emmett, and the, the caption is vacation with my bestie. And then the next picture is taken by Artemis, and, and Artemis very rarely takes photos of himself. You just see his environment because he's, he's not as self-involved as some of his peers. Uh, and you see an image of Cloud City. That's where, that's where he lives. So it says hashtag sunrise, hashtag Cloud City, hashtag Bespin. And then the last we see a picture of Victor taking a selfie alone in his room, ready for year two of Jedi Academy, are you? And then, then we, he takes off into uh, with his family, and they, they head on, oh, his sister, he and his sister head on over to Jedi Academy, and everything gets going from there. Even though the, this is a Star Wars uh, story, the family dynamic might be familiar to many kids. Could you talk a little bit about that, about the family that Victor and Christine come from? Yes. So uh, they have a, a mom, their, their birth mother that they live with, and they have a stepfather. And uh, their birth father, uh, you know, passed away when they were very young. And so Victor really holds his birth father on this high pedestal uh, and is always comparing his stepfather, Russell, to that. Um, and, and so I don't want to give too much away, but um, especially in the force oversleeps, the, the relationship between Victor and his stepfather, uh, it grows into a, it, towards a, a positive direction based on uh, revelations that Victor uncovers in this book. There also are lessons in the book about friendship and courage. I wonder how you wove them into the story. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, these you know these since these books aren't canon, and that like you know in in the world in the universe of Star Wars, they're not considered to have actually happened like the movies and some of the other books are considered canon. So I get to have a lot of fun playing around with the Star Wars and, and make more puns and make more light of some situations, uh, but. At, at its core, you know, these books, while these kids are learning how to harness the force and they're learning how to wield uh, lightsabers, they're learning how to be kids and they're learning how to deal with one another. They're learning how to deal with their emotions. Um, and so, in, in fact, the, all of the early drafts of these books, they probably have far fewer Star Warsian items in them because I'm, my main focus is, is getting into these characters psyches and their relationships and their their inner struggles as kids that are you know growing from being kids to becoming adults so you know in the first book victor is is prejudging one kid because he wears black robes and he assumes maybe he's a sith he's he's, he's going to be one of the villains of the story and he turns out to be very wrong about all of his assumptions and all of the the people in his life you had a lot of fun with social media here in a space age way. <laughs> How did you develop that concept, having the kids communicate with each other? I wanted to take some aspects of what Jeffrey used in his three Jedi Academy books and, and bring it over, but then also add some of my own items. Yeah, and you know, one of the items that Jeffrey did have was sort of a spoof on Facebook, which isn't something kids really are, are using anymore. Uh, but kids definitely are, are using Instagram more. And, it, and Instagram is such a, a visual social media tool. And this is such a visual book that it just seemed to really lend itself to just quickly catch up on the point of view of some of these characters, you know, and, 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 and where you see their priorities are and what their interests are. And even like I mentioned about Artemis, how he's not taking photos of himself, but the world around him in very artsy ways uh, that shows his personality versus Victor, who is taking a lot of selfies. <laughs> That's so true. Now, a new Star Wars movie is coming out in December, The Last Jedi. I wonder what you're most looking forward to there. Oh, you know what? You want to hear something crazy? I was invited to attend an advanced screening. Lucasfilm reached out to me and invited me to this special event in New York City, and I'd get to see it like weeks before anybody else would. Um, but it's my daughter's ninth birthday, so uh, I won't go. I won't be in New York City. I'll be at home making her a birthday cake. Um, and I will wait and see it with all of my friends on opening day. I can't wait. I mean, uh, like everybody, I was just so heartbroken when I learned that Carrie Fisher had passed away. Uh, and I, I really mourn the loss of her presence in this world. And uh, I'm really curious to see what happens of the, the character of General Leia. Oh, it's so true. Now, you also have a graphic memoir in the works called Hey Kiddo. I do. Yeah, that's that's been a very involved uh, process writing about one's own life, as, as I knew it would, but even more so than I imagined. How so? Well, you know, you have to relive some very difficult experiences. So the book is, you know, it will deal with my mother's heroin addiction and the fact that I didn't meet my father until I was 17 and uh, the fact that my grandparents were both heavy drinkers and, and all things that I, I lightly touched upon uh, in a TED Talk I delivered a couple of years ago. So you you relive these painful experiences but over and over again. So you relive them when you write the first draft. You have to have difficult dis conversations and decision-making when it comes to editing and what stays in and what goes out. Uh, you have to push yourself further to really be honest. I mean, the only way a, a book like this is going to work is if I am completely transparent and honest about my story. Uh, but then you have to relive it when you're sketching 
everything out. And then you have to relive it when you're taking those sketches and then making it to the finished art. And, and I think the sketching was actually the most difficult part because then you're sort of, you're face to face with these people. Uh, you know, and, 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 and with my story, in many cases, there are people who are no longer with us. So um, it's, it's both comforting and difficult because I, I, I know that I'm gonna be really sad when I'm finished with the art for this book because I've been able to spend a lot of time with my, my grandparents who I miss dearly. Uh, what perspective did you gain in going through this process on your grandparents and your mom and dad? Well, you know, I initially thought about writing this book way back when I got the contract for that first book back in December of 99. Uh, you know, I thought that was my finish line in terms of my story. But really, you know, for a number of reasons, uh, the story, it didn't work out for me to write it. And then and now it's just everything's lined up for me to, to write it now. And I think for, in a part, you know, I... I I did need to become a parent to understand how difficult that must have been for my mother to be incarcerated when when I was out there in this world. I can't imagine having something separate me from my kids. Now, with that being said, this is a this is a book for teens, so it's told from the perspective of teenage Jared. So so you know, I, I'm I'm definitely writing. I'm in the corner of that kid, but I'm, I'm able to write about uh, people with a bit more empathy than I might have been able to ten years ago or five years ago. Um, and it certainly helped me understand what what they went through, and it's it's brought me to a place, even more so, a place of forgiveness uh, because I can just imagine it was really difficult for for what their version of the story would be too. Oh my gosh, I, it's amazing that you got through all of that. Were there any you know books or authors you were drawn to as a kid to sort of help you through tough times? I mean, I when I was a kid, I viewed books more as a, of an escape. I don't know that I ever saw myself specifically in a book in that like there was a, a child who had to deal with uh, family addiction. So for me, you know, Beverly Cleary's Mouse in the Motorcycle series, I just loved. I had a hamster. I thought maybe I could teach him how to ride a motorcycle. It didn't really work out. Rusty never did learn how to ride a motorcycle, but um, I had Beverly Cleary's books and, and Judy Bloom's books and and Bonicula, and I had um, oh James and the Giant Peach. I love that book and and comics. I read so many comics. I would read Garfield and Snoopy and uh, you know uh, Calvin and Hobbes in the in the newspaper every day. I'd get the Treasuries. I'd get to the comic book store once a month, and I would I would go for X Men, Batman, and Spider Man were my three favorites, and I wouldn't miss an issue. Wow, that's great. Do you have any advice for kids who may be going through tough times and how they can see their way through, especially if they have an artistic gift? Well, you know, I, I look at books as an escape portal. So whatever you have going on in the world around you, you can escape in a book for, for the time being and, and be a part of the world of these other characters that, are, that maybe they're dealing with something similar to you or maybe it's a totally fantastical story you know, about a boy wizard or a, a, somebody with superpowers. Uh, but also a sketchbook can be a, a portal and it's a sketchbook is a portal in which that you create the escape and whatever you've got going on in your head, you know, you can, you can choose to channel that out and put it on the page in an artistic way, or you can just spend some time drawing a cartoon character that has nothing to do with what you're going through, and and you develop a relation, you develop a relationship with these fictional characters, both the ones you read about and the ones you create. Oh, wonderful! Since we're approaching the holidays, I wondered if there are any particular books that are going to be under the tree for your children. Uh, my kids are pretty spoiled in that. 
I don't, I, when I get a book, I, I really can't wait to, to, to break it out. So I did attend a couple of book festivals in which I got books signed for them. And we'll probably, we'll probably give them to them. What, when we do that, we, we do the 12 days of Christmas with books. So we often find that sometimes with all of the distracting gadgets and toys, um, kids might not be as excited to get a book on the actual Christmas day. So we get 12 books, one book per night. We, we wrap it up and the kid opens it up and that becomes our, our story time book for, for that night. Um, but some of, some of my favorite books, uh, uh, recent that my kids have really loved are the princess in black series by Shannon Hale and Lee Wen Fan. We absolutely love those books. Inspector Flytrap by Tom Engelberger and CC Bell. Um, of course we read all of Raina Telgemeier's books as well. And the amulet series by Kazu Kabishi. So, um, Gosh, there's. I think we could have another forty minutes of me just listing off books that we've really enjoyed reading together. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great start, Jarrett. Thank you so much for talking with us. It was really a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. My great thanks again to Jared Krasoska for talking with us, and thank you for listening. To learn more about Jarrett's work, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Is there a topic you'd like us to discuss? We'd love to hear from you. Send a note to scholasticreads at scholastic.com. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads with you next time.